Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Cleveland Indians announced the signing of 15 international amateur players as part of the 2020-2021 signing period. Each player is either 16 or 17 years of age and most likely several years away from reaching the major leagues. But the amateur draft and international free agent market are the lifeblood of an Indians organization that prides itself on procuring and developing major league talent. Paul Gillespie is the Indians Vice President of International Scouting. This was his fourth year of heavy involvement in that signing process of players from Latin America and beyond. But he says the specter of the COVID-19 pandemic created new challenges this year. Yeah, it's been uh, incredibly challenging. Uh, I think um, it's definitely tested, you know, tested us and tested, you know, organizations and, and scouting departments across baseball. I would say that uh, with respect to the Indians organization, uh, our scouts, they, they embrace the challenges and they really, um, they really embody what it means to, to, to be good teammates, to, to be open to new things, to, to try different methods of getting to know players. We, uh, they really embraced, um, you know, the, uh, evaluating players on video, um, getting to know players, um, conducting interviews, using uh, different forms of technology to uh, make sure they were continuing to put our scouting process, pushing our scouting process forward. So uh, it was hard, you know, not having the ability to, uh, to do the sort of traditional job of just going and seeing players in person at all times. Um, our scouts really did a great job of embracing, um, embracing the challenge. Um, Beyond that, um, it's been sort of, you know, the organizational philosophy, the first and foremost was just to keep everybody safe. And, uh, you know, fortunately from, uh, from leadership from top to bottom, um, we feel like we've been able to do a, do a very good job of, of doing that and prioritizing health and safety above everything while still being uh, effective in the market. I'm Jim Rosenhouse, and this is Tribe Talk presented by Progressive. We'll hear much more from Paul Gillespie in just a moment. Also on this week's show, Indians third base coach Mike Sarbaugh joins us to talk about an unusual 2020 season and what lies ahead in 2021 for the Indians. But first, some news from the week gone by. The Indians, they had three arbitration-eligible players remaining on the 40-man roster, so some contract things to clean up by the front office, and they did indeed do that this week, as on Friday, all three of those players agreed to contracts. The Indians settled on one-year deals with catcher Austin Hedges, 
the young catcher acquired from the Padres in last year's trade deadline deal. Also newly acquired middle infielder Ahmed Rosario agreed to a one-year deal, as did relief pitcher Phil Maton, who had that breakthrough season in 2020. So that takes care of some of the contract issues facing the Indians before what they hope is spring training next month. And new this week, our weekly update on the season. Nothing concrete yet, but planning continues to begin spring training on time in mid-February, pointing toward an opening day for a standard 162-game season on April the 1st. But as we've come to expect during this time of COVID and its impact on baseball and pro sports in general, it's a good idea to remain flexible and expect the unexpected. But at least MLB stating in various reports earlier this week that everything is running on time for the time being. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll talk about a big day on the amateur player signing front yesterday with Paul Gillespie. That's next on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Yeah, this season, I actually had little business cards made. Eric Rubino, fantasy baseball GM. You can keep that. Sure, the players are famous, but come game day, I decide their fate. What's that? Oh, you make 20 million? Well, I don't like your attitude. You benched! Now, I'd never bench an all-star, but I could. That's also why I like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. With options based on my budget, they never throw me a curveball. <laughs> That's a little baseball reference for you. Get options based on your budget with Progressive, even if you're not a legend in your own mind. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you as we continue with our hot stove shows during this baseball offseason. And the Indians with that constant look ahead to try and procure as much good young talent as they possibly can. Continued on that front yesterday, Friday, as they announced the signing of 15 international amateur free agents during that 2020-2021 signing period. A signing period that usually kicks off in early July, but because of COVID, that was pushed back to this week. And that signing class includes 15 players from across Latin America, seven from the Dominican Republic, seven from Venezuela, and one from Panama. Paul Gillespie is the Indians' vice president of international scouting. He's been at this for a long, long time on the scouting end, the last four seasons really heading up that international scouting effort for the Indians. And he said this year, the biggest key may have been flexibility and adaptability. Yeah, thanks, Rosie. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a, that's a great way to put it. Um, obviously, the, the signing period, this, this typically happens um, on July 2nd in, uh, in, a, in a normal year. Um, with the coronavirus pandemic, um, it, the opening of the period was pushed back to today, January 15th. So, um, you know, not the same uh, environment that we're used to, you know, being, um, you know, having, having a big celebration um, in Cleveland, as we have done over the last couple of years with, with all of our signees, but signees, but we, uh, we feel great about being able to, to bring in new uh, 15 new players into the organization. And, uh, you know, again, as you mentioned, just a celebration of um, what they've accomplished, their dedication, their effort, um, and, and the things that they've done to put themselves in this position. And 
equally as important, um, you know, their families, their trainers, and, and the people that support them and the people around them, as well as our scouting staff and um, our organization as a whole. Our, our scouts have done an unbelievable job of um, getting to know the best players uh, across the globe, getting to know them very well, um, evaluating them over a, a long period of time and preparing the organization for these, uh, for these acquisitions. When you look at this class, uh, the, the draft in the, in the U.S. this year was limited, very much so compared to years past. Uh, does that add to the importance of what you're doing on the international level because of, of the cutbacks in, in the draft stateside? You know, I, I, I think so. I think, you know, we, we approach every, every class very much the same. And, you know, that's to, you know, take our pool space and, and maximize the dollars that we, that we have to spend and, and try to, you know, try to fill our organization with, you know, you know the best young talent that we, po that we possibly can. And we try to do that, um, you know, year in and year out. Um, so, you know, much like the draft and their approach, um, you know, those guys do a, an, an unbelievable job. We're just trying to, uh, you know, trying to get the best players, sign the best players, and uh, and add them to the system, and uh, and give the organization, um, you know, some great uh, some great players to work with. Take us inside. What is the landscape in, in Latin America, especially you look at at the age of these young men that you brought into the system, and they're 16 and 17 years old. And I know you like to get a, a read on players much uh, before before they're 16 or 17, obviously. Uh, what is that landscape down there like competition-wise, differences from what you see here with high school ball and, and showcases and things like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Rosie. Um, the landscape, well, it's, it's a little different from the, from the domestic draft in, in the States. Um, the international market, it's, it's free agency. So, um, you know, any team um, has the, you know, basically equal ability to sign, um, sign any player. Um, and so the market is, it's quick, it's fast moving. Um, and, you know, again, like the competition is, you know, you have, you know, not, only, not just us, you know, 29 other teams are down there trying to, uh, trying to uh, acquire talent, you know, day in and day out. So um, as far as, you know, the landscape, there are a lot of players, you know, in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Panama, um, Colombia, and that's just when you're when you talking about Latin America. Um, so it's, it's a lot of ground to cover, a lot of good players, um, a lot of players that, you know, you mentioned the age, um, they're young, so they can, they can change, they can fluctuate, they can go up and go down. So you have to, you know, stay on top of them and, uh, you know, and, and really um, try to get a bet, the best understanding of the market that moves so fast. Um, as best as you possibly can. Paul Gillespie joining us, Indians Vice President of International Scouting. The Dominican Academy, fairly new for the Indians. Oh, you could say just about brand new. Is that a factor at all in, in what you're doing and success that you've had in, in signing players? I think so. I think um, our academy, like I would say after we've signed players, um, you know, and those players can, can enter our player development system, the academy it has been a tremendous resource for for development. I think you know we have one of, if not if not the best academy um, in in the Dominican Republic. So um, just having you know the fields, the multiple fields, um, the the technology that we have there, 
uh, you know, the weight room, all the, you know, the things, all the cutting edge um, things that we, we can add to their development has, has really done, done us a, a great service as you look at um, the players that, you know, so far have, have done a great job, you know, since we've gotten the academy have, has done, have done a great job, you know, making their way up the, uh, up the chain and up the, and up the system. And at 16 and 17, uh, minor league baseball will have a different look starting this season. Uh, where do these kids play? You bring a lot of kids in, and, and how do you find those, those spots for them to, to be able to develop? Yeah, so um, what's going so to happen now is we, we're, you know, there hasn't been a decided upon start date for the minor leagues, but um, typically these players will in, enter the system and um, they'll go and play in the Dominican Summer League um, in the Dominican Republic. So um, that's where they'll start their careers. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a ton of opportunity down there to, uh, to, to play and develop and to, you know, to move around, play different positions. Um, and so that's where they'll start their careers. And, you know, sometime, you know, in terms of how they progress, you know, the player will tell us, you know, when he's ready to move to, a, to another level. Um, then uh, at that point, we'll, you know, the group will get together and, and make those decisions of, of when he's ready to, to go to the next level. You mentioned moving around the different positions. And uh, of the 15, I, I counted eight shortstops, and that's what they're officially listed at. Um, what is it about Latin America and shortstops? It seems like that's such a popular position. Why do you see that down there, you think? Maybe, maybe more so than, than here in the States. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you were to go, if you were to go to a, you know, a random tryout in, um, you know, the Dominican Republic or, or Venezuela, Venezuela, you would, you know, you would go and you see a lot of kids line up at shortstop. I think, um, you know, one of the reasons for that is, as you, as you can see, if you, you know, just, if you were to turn on the TV or a lot of good shortstops from, uh, from those places, um, or like in middle infielders um, in general. And I think too, it's a, it's just a premium position. You know, it's a premium position on the diamond. A lot of times um, the best athletes on the field are, are at shortstop. And I think there is a, you know, a burning desire, uh, you know, for the, for the players and for the kids to play shortstop. So I think, you know, while at the end of the day, you look at it and, you know, there's only one player that can play shortstop per game. Right. Um, but the, the, the great thing about it is, um, our organization sort of, we definitely like to promote um, versatility. And I think that's something that um, is good for a young player, you know, to be able to move around the, the diamond, you know, play some shortstop, play some second base, play some third base, um, see the ball at the bat from different angles and, you know, learn how to move your feet different ways, learn how to make throws from different angles. So um, that's another way with, as you mentioned, you know, we have, you know, signed quite a few shortstops, but, they definitely get reps and definitely uh, are still not only developing their tools and skills, but uh, their versatility as well. I know talking to Scott Barnsby sometimes uh, right around draft time, uh, it feels like he goes right back out and, and starts looking at the next wave and, and there's not much rest for the weary. Uh, how about you? Do, do you get a break or, or do you have to, because as you said, it's so fast moving. Do you have to be, be right back, back on it and, and really almost year round full time be on the case? Yeah, that's, uh, that is, that is certainly, certainly the case. Um, and, you know, Scott Barnes is the type of guy, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't, that guy doesn't sleep much. He, he's, um, he's all over it. So, 
Um, so yeah, very similar for the international market. There's, it's, it's a marketplace where, as I mentioned, it's fast moving and, you know, never, never truly sleeps. So, um, for us, it's, you know, just preparing for, for this day, you know, 365 days from now, you know, so doing every, everything we can to, to put the organization in the best position to, to get to know players, you know, our scouts are always, you know, getting to know players, um, evaluating players, getting to know the people around them. And, uh, in order to, in order to give us the best, the best picture of each player. Well, player acquisition on so many different levels is, is so important to this organization. And uh, Paul, I know today's a big day for you. Thanks so much for coming by. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rosie. Really appreciate the time, man. And nice, uh, nice talking to you. Thanks. Thanks again. Always great to visit with Paul as he's one of many in that Indians front office who does such great work on uh, the player scouting front, whether it's locally or internationally. He's, he logs a lot of air miles when it's a normal situation and there's not a pandemic, but obviously was able to adjust on the fly this year and the Indians feel very strongly about some of the players that they added this time around. Two of the top signings are shortstops, Angel Janeo and also Fran Aldue, as uh, they were slotted number 23 and number 25, according to MLB.com's top 30 international prospect rankings. So something to look forward to there. And as Paul mentioned, a lot of shortstops, at least that's where they're placed right now. But you can play shortstop, you can play a lot of other spots on the diamond, and the Indians have a good reputation for finding the right spots for the players that they enter into the system. And uh, we'll be in some interesting follows now over the next several years to see how some of those players progress through the system. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we visit with Mike Sarbaugh, Indians third base coach. Last year at times was the bench coach and works with infielders too, so a lot to get to with Mike after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Joining us now, Indians third base coach again, Mike Sarbaugh, and we say again, he's starting his ninth season on the Major League Coaching staff and uh, back to third base coach after uh, spending a good portion of last season in the dugout as acting manager Sandy Alomar's bench coach. And uh, Mike, first off, uh, another offseason here, uh, maybe nearing an end, but uh, for you, uh, offseasons, how, how do you spend them? to kind of recharge the batteries and get rolling for another season, more than 30 years in the game uh, for you? Well, yeah, I think uh, when you have families and all that, you when you do finish the season and you get home, uh, you definitely want to try and spend as much time with them and um, you know try and, and do all the things you've been missing over the last seven or eight months. So being able to do that and, you know, as the kids have gotten older, you know, they have, they have their – their uh you know events they're into and um so it's a, it's changed over the years as we all know having kids but uh it's always good to be back home and and uh to get into that family life again and normally a, a, a baseball season starts in mid-february and runs all the way through uh to the end of september and, and into october but this past calendar year about as odd as could possibly be for the normal baseball calendar 
Uh, did it feel any different when you got home after playing just a 60-game season or everything that went into that? Did, did you really need that time off when uh, you got to the end? Well, I think this whole year has been totally different. Um, as you know, you, you go into last season, uh, normal, uh, mid-March happens. You go home, you're you're at home in a different time. It's the first time I was home in the spring and since I think it was like 1985. Um, so uh, just being here for that time, every time I walked outside uh, to go outside, I, I expected it to be about 35 degrees and to feel it being warm was strange for me. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, um, it, it just the whole year was, uh, was, was different. Um, and I think just what we went through to get to play 60 games, it almost made it feel like it was a normal 160 too. Um, so to answer your question, um, it was different, but in the end, uh, through all the protocols and, you know, how we had to go about things, it, 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 it made it seem longer than 60 games. Can you point to, to one area that was different that was most challenging? Uh, when when you got into the day-to-day -day of the season? I think for me, it was just the interaction with the players. Um, and, and, and for that matter, the, the staff too, because, you know, usually we're the staff's in one room and the players are right next to us. Uh, and then this past season, they had, you know, some players in the locker room, other players in another room across the way. And then uh, our the staff was spread out in multiple rooms and used some suites and so there'd be times I wouldn't see guys until we got out on the field at three thirty four o'clock so that that was a little tough because part of it is the camaraderie and and just being around each other on a daily basis so that was that was very difficult Mike Sarbot joining us Indians third base coach and was expecting that to be his job again last year but uh, Mike as much as anything else you, you talk about the the differences because of the protocols and, and what made 2020 unusual but because of Terry Francona's health issues in the dominoes that followed you became Sandy Alomar's bench coach when he was acting manager uh, what was that like for you and what were some of the challenges there from what you normally do well the, uh, I think the one thing is being a third base coach and uh, uh, being in charge of the infielders, uh, I always I, I was always doing something. Um, and then moving to the bench, you know, for when we're at the plate, uh, you know, I'm not out at third and I'm not giving signs. I'm not interacting with the players as much on the field. Um, so there was an adjustment. Uh, but just being in there, uh, having that perspective, it was a great learning experience. And to be able to sit there and help Sandy and, and, uh, you know, being able to talk to Carl and all the other coaches, uh, um, it, it was it was enjoyable for me. It was fun. And to be able to feel like we were helping uh, Tito while he was gone and trying to you know keep the ship moving. Uh, so I, it was it was enjoyable. Uh, but then on the other hand, it was a challenge. Did you ever look out at third base coach? And I know Tony Manzalino did a, a real nice job. Uh, I, I can't remember any, you know, rough plays at the plate or anything like that. But uh, do you ever look yeah. out there and say, "Well, wait a minute, I, that's not how I would do that," or or anything along those lines? <laughs> well, not not really, because you know, I 
you know, like I told Tony when he went out there is don't, you know, you, you have your style, you do that. You know, there's certain things that need to be done that, you know, Terry or Sandy want, wants done, but you know, he's been coaching third a long time in the minor leagues. So you be yourself and, and uh, you know, all it'll all, it'll all be good. So he did a very good job and I was happy that he got the job with Baltimore this, this past year or this off season. Um, so but it was it was different, and especially even for Sandy, because we were both used to being out there and interacting with the guys and having a little more hands-on uh, during the on the on-field part of it. So it was an adjustment. Mike Sarbot joining us, uh, and third base coach, but also really does a, a great job working with the infielders. Uh, usually, right up from start of spring training on through the regular season. And Mike, I know a, a part of that job. Uh, you get close to players, and, and the Indians recently traded Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco to the Mets, and you work closely with Francisco on a regular basis. And, and I know such a big part of his game was that consistent daily work at, at various times in his career pregame. And and can you speak to that, the, the effort that he put in? Uh, you know, fans see the, the finished product at game time, but how hard a worker was he during his time with the Indians? Well, you know, I think that's part of what makes him the player he is because there is determination, there's work, there's that fire to, to, to be the best. And, you know, he, he did that. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the fans don't, that do not see all the work that gets put in what these players do. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think we just show up at six and play the game at seven, but, you know, especially in, for Frankie, uh, the work he put into, uh, you know, working on his backhand, working on slow rollers, uh, just, you know, I, I, and the one play that he mastered while he was with us is that play in the hole when he one hops to first base. I mean, it's, it, it just doesn't happen. You work at that. And he, that's a play that he worked on, uh, and that he mastered. He was unbelievable in that. Um, and, the ability he had, that internal clock, uh, it, you can't teach those things. Um, and, you know, I, I, it was a pleasure to, to be around him, to see him as a young player, you know, get drafted in 2011, work his way through our system, uh, and to come to the big leagues when he did and, and not back. You know, I always, you know, I, when you think yourself as a coach, you know, you have the players are the ones that are out there. And before Frankie came, I think we were toward the bottom of the third in team defense. And once he came here for the next five, six years, uh, we were in, the, we were at the top, top third. So there's a reason why, uh, he gets the accolades. It, there's a reason why he's, uh, in the position he is right now. And it's not because of, it's not just because of what he does on the field. It's what he does off the field and the person he is. And anyway, we were talking before we, we started the interview just uh, how the trades are part of the game, and, and uh, certainly you understand that. And when you look at it that way and all the things you just mentioned about him, can there be a, a carryover effect to those that remain in terms of the work ethic and what it takes to be your very best? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, having Yu Chang, Yu Chang has learned a lot from Frank. You just being around him and watching him and, and talking to him, uh, a lot of the younger players in spring training, uh, you know, there's, 
players that are coming up, Nolan Jones, uh, some of the younger players we've had uh, that are coming up through, just being around him and seeing the work that Frank has put in during spring training and, and, and just talking to him. Frankie's been great at you know, talking to the minor league players at times. Um, so, you know, those players can only, uh, only have gotten better just from being around him over the last few years. So um, what he's done will carry on. Um, and uh, we're just appreciative of all he gave to us and what he was all about while he was here. So now uh, you fast forward and, and potentially, and I know there's some things that, that have to be worked through in spring training, but uh, you could have a brand new double play combo with, with two middle infielders from outside the organization coming over from the Mets. Uh, how do you approach that when spring training does begin uh, to get them in a good place and, and, and learn what new players' strengths and weaknesses are so you can go to work with them? Well, it's kind of already started. Uh, you know, I've gotten some videos sent to me uh, from last year uh, to be able to watch them on the infield, um, you know, be able to take some notes, talk to other coaches that have had them, um, just get as much information as you can. Um, and then, you know, just start to build relationships because um, first day of spring, if you know, Ahmed shows up, uh, and, you know, I tell him he's got to do something uh, with his, uh, his backhand and, and we haven't, you know, we don't have any uh, relationship yet. That'd be bad on my part. So I have a good idea of what their strengths and some of their limitations go in the spring, build that relationship and just start working from that. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've heard a lot of great things about uh, uh, both Andres and, and, uh, and Ahmed. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I thought Terry Francona on, on the day of the trade kind of touched on that, that, uh, yes, look, everyone loves Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, but the reality is that they've, they've been moved and, and you have new players coming in, and that can be energizing too. And is that the way that, that uh, you almost have to look at it from a coaching staff perspective? Yeah, I think we have to because, hey, listen, you know, it's, what we've gone through over the last three years, you know, we've had players move on. Um, we've had players come in that have filled in great. Um, um, that's just part of the business. So I think we just got to keep our focus on, you know, the team we have. Um, yeah. I mean, would it be great if Frankie played for the Indians for 15 years? I'm sure most of the fans would say, you know, want that. Um, but that's not the reality we're in. And, and we've got two good, two great infielders we've gotten from the Mets and we're going to work with them and try and make them as good as they can be. And, and uh, you know, try and win the central and, and move on. So uh, we're looking forward to it. There's always challenges in this game. Um, like I said, you look back at, there was a special time with a special player we had with Frankie. Um, but uh, you know, we're looking forward to, um, to the new guys that are coming in and, we're going to try and get better, and, and we're looking forward to it. That process, getting better, who knows when that begins? I know everyone's saying that um, it's going to start on time, and, and hopefully it will. Uh, has it been odd, though, this time of year? Here, mid-January, we record this. Uh, I imagine usually you have your flight booked and, and uh, a place to stay and all that kind of stuff. Uh, is this a, as unusual and maybe par for the course for what's been the last calendar year, uh, trying to plan when – 
when uh, maybe it's not concrete yet as, as to what's happening? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has that. Uh, I'm not as bad of a feeling as when we were in last, you know, in the spring and early summer of not knowing what was ahead of us. Uh, but there is some of that now because, like you said, we can't, you know, it's not, we haven't heard for sure when we're supposed to be there yet. Um, all, we're hearing a lot of good things that's starting on time, so we're very hopeful. Uh, but still, in the back of your mind, you're like going, uh, you know, it's not 100%. So there's that that chance that it might not. But uh, we're planning on being there in mid-February and getting to work, and, and we're looking forward to it. Well, hopefully we, we continue along that path. Mike Sarba, always great to have you on, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in about a month or so out in Goodyear. Sounds good, Rosie. Thanks. That's Mike Sarbaugh, who this season will be spending his ninth season on the Major League coaching staff, 32nd season in the Indians organization, dating back to the early 90s when he joined the Indians on the playing side, starting a minor league playing career that has developed into a, a minor league coaching and managerial career. A lot of championships at different levels in the minor leagues, leading Indians farm clubs, and uh, now a part of that major league coaching staff under manager Terry Francona and he has been in that role for quite some time again this is ninth season on the major league staff and looking forward to getting back out on the field as the tribe's third base coach stay with us we'll have some final thoughts after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians radio network if I learned one thing from this great game of baseball it's that she'll humble you you think you've got it figured out, you check the standings, and you're in last place again. I'm Eric Rubino, fantasy baseball GM, and I can put my team in position to win every single time, but I can't play the games, people. At least Progressive's Name Your Price tool has options based on my budget. It never lets me down, unlike my pitching staff. Amateurs! Get options based on your budget with Progressive, even if you're not a legend in your own mind. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse back with you this weekend as we continue our hot stove shows heading up to spring training, which we hope will be in mid to late February with a start time. We still have on the schedule a spring training opener Saturday, February the 27th. The Indians will take on the Cincinnati Reds in Goodyear, and you can hear that game if indeed it does get played as scheduled on time on February the 27th with an airtime of 3 o'clock on the Cleveland Clinic Indians radio network. So stay tuned. We'll have all the very latest developments on when the season does begin and uh, any changes that may be made. But right now, keeping our fingers crossed that everything starts on time in Major League Baseball. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk presented by Progressive. want to thank, as always, Brian Matze and Anthony Alford for all of their help in putting together our shows each week. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians radio network. Indians at first and second. Two down in the tenth. Three to two socks. Here's the 2-2 pitch from Ruiz to Ramirez. A swing and a drive to deep right center field. Away, back and gone. It's a game winner. It's a playoff clincher. 
And for the fourth time in the last five years, Indians fans, you will have a postseason to remember. A walk-off, three-run homer to right center by Jose Ramirez. The Indians, with four in the tenth, have stunned the Chicago White Sox five to three. The magic number is zero. The one guy the White Sox did not want to see get to the plate, and Ramirez, now in his last seven games, six home runs, 15 RBIs, and that is how you clinch a playoff spot. How about that from Jose Ramirez? Um, I think Jose Ramirez is, you know, He's special. He's special. He's he's probably I'm, I don't know if he could be underrated as a kind of a top five guy in the league, but if there if there's such a thing, he's underrated. His ability to work a count, to hit pitches that are you know borderline good pitches, um, being a switch hitter. I mean the whole the whole package. He's the best player I ever played with. The best. He's the best. I love you, little man. Love you, bro. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.